everyone. Welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Sam. Wonderful to be with you here as we get to keep drilling into the scriptures, answering your questions, thinking more and more about what God has done for us and our Lord Jesus. It's going to yeah. be a great time. Yeah. So it's a pretty exciting week for us at St. Paul's this week. We've had our new senior minister, Raj Gupta. How good's that been? It's been a fantastic couple of days so far. We're recording on Wednesday, so Monday Raj started with us. Yep. Last night we had his commencement of ministry service, which was just this wonderful time to gather as a church and encourage our brother and yeah. welcome him as our new leader. Yeah, Sam, yeah. how did you find last night? Loved it. Yeah, found it hugely encouraging. Uh, Love to see both the formal elements of, of you know, our wardens and uh, our bishop coming to welcome Raj formally, but then also just the words of welcome um, to hear a little bit from Raj and Nicole. Mm. Uh, yeah, just really looking forward to having them around as part of our family. And uh, and I think that is right. St. Paul's is a big family. We, we spoke mm. about that a bit last night. And uh, a family that I'm thrilled to be part of. And uh, yeah, thrilled to welcome the, the Guptas to be part of that family. So it was, a, it was a really good night. Yeah, really exciting to start this new chapter of totally. our life as a church. Totally. Uh, before we look forward further like that, we're going to look backward as well. So we're going to look back to last Sunday where, Sam, you were opening up Psalm 84 with us. Yeah, uh, my, for those sec- who... my second favorite psalm. Your second favorite psalm. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yep. The first one being the one we did last time. That's exactly right. Yeah, 130. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 130 followed by 84. There you go. Yep. Uh, top two numbers. Top two. Um, tell us a little bit about Sunday. Yeah, what were we looking at? Uh, what does this psalm teach us? Yeah, Psalm 84 is uh, is a great psalm. Um, not not immediately clear, I think, for, for, for many of us when we first read it, what it's all about. Uh, but it, it really is about the, the great blessing of being one of God's people uh, and being able to dwell with God. And it sort of begins with yearning to dwell with God, then moves to pilgrimage towards Jerusalem to, to be with God, and then ends with the joy of, of, of meeting with God in, in his presence. And uh, so there's a little um, sense in which uh, the, the picture of a, of a pilgrim in Israel uh, paints a, a bit of a picture for us of the Christian life, um, mm. of, of our journey towards God's presence in heaven um, and uh, all uh, kind of mediated through the work of the Messiah, who is the, the true temple and uh, the one who protects us for the journey. Yeah, we're going to dig into a few of those ideas more in some of our questions. Yeah. Before we do, a fun one to kick us off. Uh, One of the things you said, Sam, uh, thinking about verse 2 of the psalm, you know, the soul yearning, facing for the courts of the Lord. You you reflected to us the the experience of yearning and your flesh failing, waiting for (laughs) your wife, Soph, to come back from the trip and cook dinner for you again. Uh, One person's text in a question, what was the first meal that uh, your wife, Soph, cooked for you after she got back from her trip? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Uh, she's a very gracious one. I do love her for more than her food. I, I just... Just put that on the record. That's good to know, right? <laughs> um, oh, gee, I tell you, I, t- t- I don't quite remember exactly what she would have cooked me back then. It was a little while ago. I said it was in the dark ages before we had children, um, so it would have been ten plus years ago. But uh, it, little story about about how awesome my wife is. Um, in that every every Sunday that I preach or teach the Bible, uh, we, we've got a deal, or she's she's made a deal with me where she'll cook me bacon and a bacon and egg roll for that Sunday night. And so if I preach three times through the day, like I did on Sunday, um, she'll sort of, she's pretty good. She'll work out <laughs> when, when I'm about to leave from church and wow. then she'll have the, uh, the, the eggs on and the bacon ready. So that I walk in and I've, so like on Sunday night, I got bacon and eggs, uh, with avocado and, and oh, barbecue mate. sauce on the, on the toasted bun. And it was, uh, it was pretty special. So, wow. uh, yeah, that is a good deal. I'm going to make a, a note deal. of that and have a chat to Katie later yeah. on. I think that's a, yeah. that's, that's great. So yeah. I'm very, blessed uh there's this blessing even beyond relationship with god that's so, right that's right <laughs> yeah, very good yeah 
All right, let's let's get into another one. Yeah. Uh, one person texted in. So you're talk, telling us just in the intro there about the the pilgrimage idea in this psalm. Question is, would it be right to consider the pilgrimage of Psalm 84 to be our trek through life towards heaven? That all the blessings of God's presence would be with us throughout our journey. Uh, so, you know, should we share this psalm with a struggling sister or brother in Christ, for instance, yeah. to encourage them in their journey? Yeah. Yep. And I think the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, it is, I think it is, um, yeah, as we think about our walk, we, we are not pilgrimaging towards uh the temple in Jerusalem. Um, that's we're not heading there for the Day of Atonement. We've already had our uh, our sacrificial lamb mm. uh, sacrificed on the altar for us, the Lord Jesus, and He now calls us to the city of God uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and I, I mean, I did say I think on Sunday, um, I think there's a reason why John Bunyan in that famous book, The, the Pilgrim's Pro- Progress, yeah. picks up on that idea of uh, his main character is called Pilgrim, uh, and he mm. travels towards. The celestial city, and along the way, he goes through all the sort of slings and arrows of uh, of the walk. And it, it's a very clever book. Um, if you've mm. not read it, very much worth um, reflecting on all the struggles that Pilgrim endures are very much the ins and outs of the Christian life. And um, to me, there's a big Psalm 84 kind of um, imagery running running right throughout the book of the Pilgrim's Progress. I, mm. I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I, I feel like it's almost like John Bunyan has has this kind of picture in yeah. his head as, as he's writing it. And um, so, yes, uh, should you be sharing this with a bro- brother or a sister as they're walking their, their Christian walk on the way to heaven? Absolutely. Um, hence why I love this psalm so much, because I think for me, it, it helps me as someone who hasn't yet arrived at the final destination. It helps me to keep remembering the great joy that uh, Christ has called me heavenwards for. And um, and I, I appreciate it for that. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's a thing that runs through the whole Bible, isn't it? You think of, you know, Abraham setting out towards the promised land. You think of Israel heading towards the promised land. Yep. Hebrews 11 even makes that point, you know, the, mm. our forefathers, they... They, they weren't, you know, they lived in tents. They were looking forward towards an eternal home. That's and right. the writer of the Hebrews says, yeah, that's us as well. That's we us. Yeah. Haven't arrived. So, Precisely. Yeah. So thank you for sharing this time with us uh, yeah. on our pilgrimages to encourage all of us on yeah. our journey. Yeah. We've got a, f- uh, a few questions drilling into some of the details. So we'll mm. get into them. Uh, yeah. First question uh, in verse 11 uh, yeah. is the word shield there in verse 11, is it the same as the word sovereign in verse 9. And we've been trying to work out exactly what this question is getting at. Uh, and it may be that in the NIV footnote, verse mm. 9, uh, the NIV text says, look on our shield, O God. And there's a footnote that says that word shield could be sovereign. So look That's on right. our sovereign, as yeah. in the anointed one. Yeah, so yeah. what's going on there, verse 9 11? Yes, I mean, in answer to the detail of the question, is it the same word? Yes, it is. Um, so it is. And I think it's intentional repetition that in the same way that the Messiah is the, the sovereign or the shield of Israel, the one who protects and looks after them, um, God is the ultimate one. Uh, mm. the, the, the Lord Yahweh, he, he is the true shield of Israel uh, who, who ultimately protects. But he, his protection is mediated through his Messiah. Um, and that is true both in the kind of earthly king, the, the, the Davidic line of kings in the Old Testament, but obviously much more true uh, through the true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is um, the true protector of God's people, the true shield, because he is the mm. Lord. Um, and so, but yes, it is the same word. And I think there's an intentional kind of mirroring of those ideas that the Messiah is the shield and the Lord is the true shield. Yeah, I think that's the case throughout the Old Testament more broadly. I think Maybe it's because we, you know, have this anti-authoritarian streak that we bristle against human leaders a little bit. But in the Old Testament, like the human leader is the one who rules people on behalf of God. So yeah. 
see that he's the shield and that the Lord is the shield, it sort of makes sense because mm. God rules and brings his peace through the, the work of his anointed yeah. king. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, helpful. Yep. Uh, another question. The psalmist continually calls God the Lord of hosts. Mm. Uh, one person has texted in. NIV, uh, that phrase is normally translated the Lord Almighty. Yes, that's this right. This person might be looking at the ESV or one of our other translations that says, yeah, yep. the Lord of hosts. Yeah. Is there a reason that uh, the psalmist uses that uh, name or title for, for the Lord yeah. over and over again? Yeah, I, mean, I think it kind of hooks into the previous question a little bit. Um, Lord of hosts uh, is... Um, a kind of a host in the in the old language, if you like, is is the idea of a, of an army, a, a great uh, group of uh, people. So the heavenly host is kind of God's heavenly army, the angelic yeah. um, uh, army who who are. Fearsome and, uh, and and terrifying in their power, and often when you see that the heavenly host appear, what do all the all the people who see them do? They they fall down and on the ground, you know, in terror uh, because they're such a kind of formidable uh, group. Um, but hosts, more generally, um, you know, a great host coming across the plain is a scary thing because that's a great army coming across the plain to mm. attack your city. And so, the Lord of Hosts, I think, is the Lord of Armies, yeah. um, and uh, I think that captures up the idea that that. God is ultimately in control of the ins and outs of uh, nations and their their rise and fall. He is the Lord of them all. He's also the Lord of the great army, which is his heavenly army, uh, who will ultimately prevail. Uh, why, do, why do you think he gets called that throughout this psalm? Well, I think it is because God is the shield of Israel. Mm. Um, and they to, to know that they are safe in the promised land uh, that and can therefore travel to God's presence in the temple... Uh, is a great comfort, um, and the only reason they can enjoy that safety and prosperity and freedom to travel uh, is because the Lord of Hosts is with them, um, and so they don't need to fear. They can travel to God's presence because the Lord of Hosts will protect them from their enemies and give them rest on every side. Yeah, nice. I often think with this title of the picture in Luke two, so yes. um, the shepherds. You yes. have um, the angel comes to the shepherds and says. You know, today is born unto you a Christ, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then Luke two thirteen, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host yes. appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest heaven." Yeah, and I think we hear that and just think, lots of angels, which yes. is right. Like, yeah. um, but it's this great company of the heavenly host. It's this military language. That's it's like right. here's yeah. like a legion of yep. the heavenly armies. So That's right. I think the picture is more. I've been watching Lord of the Rings on Netflix because it's on there recently. Last a while, and you know, picture that. This big army of like elves yeah. and men lined up, you know, arrayed yeah. in this show of force. Like that's the picture. God's army here declaring that's his right. glory. He's he's the mighty one. Exactly. Which is why I think the NIV gives you the translation, the Lord Almighty. Almighty, which captures because and, and I think um again, Lord of hosts is is in our language it's it's fallen out of usage, to be mm. honest. And so it just sounds sort of vague and um we don't really know what it's talking about. We don't want to say the Lord of Armies because it sounds a bit too militant for our liking. Yeah. But that's actually what it is. Mm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We'll keep going. Uh, next question about verse 11 again. Uh, mm. Verse 11 says, No good thing does he, the Lord, withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Mm. The person's texted in, Does that apply to us? Because none of us are blameless, although we are seen as blameless because of Jesus. So would it then apply mm. to us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we think about how a verse like that applies to us as Christians? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess it's worth asking, what does blameless mean? Mm. Um does it mean sinless? In that sense, yes, Jesus is the only sinless one, and therefore even in Israel this verse would sort of not apply because it would be delightfully empty, <laughs> yeah. an empty category. Um, so I think more so blameless as a category. Uh, I mean, it gets picked up at the very start of the Psalms, um, 
where the, the righteous one who walks in the ways mm. of the Lord um, in, in Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Um, uh, I think it's less about being perfectly free from sin, but one who, who kind of walks in God's ways um, yeah. and is blameless in that sense. Is mm. that... Um, yeah, I mean, like the language does get picked up in the New Testament. So when Paul speaks about righteousness and justification, which is yes. like the verbal form of that same word group, you yep, know, yep. the righteousifying of like, yes. so there is this really strong sense that no yeah. one is righteous. You that's know, that's right. what Paul says, quoting the Psalms in, in Romans 3. That's right. And none of us can be righteous in our own. Like we're yep. only righteous through uh, the, the alien righteousness that yep. God gives us in Christ, which is the Philippians 3 language yep. where you took us as well. Yep, yep. But that's not the only way that this word is used in the mm. Old Testament. I think even in the New. Mm. Uh, sometimes righteousness, it's more this sense of being upright and blameless. Yeah. So I often think of Job. So the, the very start of the book of Job. Yep. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Mm. He feared God and shunned evil. Yeah. And as you read Job, like the point is not that Job is sinlessly sinless. perfect. Yeah, that's um, right. You see throughout, like he has this, this quarrel with God that goes mm. the whole way through the book of Job and he ends up being rebuked. Like he's not sinless but he is blameless and upright he is this person who is walking with god he's he's kind of it's, it's sort of like an above, above reproach idea like mm. he's not really obviously and you know flagrantly evil and wicked he's someone who's seeking to align his life and walk in the ways of god and that's the way the language i think is often used yep. in the psalms and in, in the old testament more broadly yeah no I, I think that's exactly right and um yeah i mean in in titus one um the language gets used in that second sense that you were just talking about. When we're talking about the the elder or the overseer of a church, um, he says, uh, you know, appoint Titus one six. An elder must be blameless, mm. uh, faithful to his wife. I don't think he's saying there must be sinless. Yeah, then none of us, you know, no, you and I would be out of a job. I'm not exactly, I'm out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, but blameless there. I think it's capturing up the idea that there's someone who walks in the ways of the Lord. So mm. there, there's this sort of other way of using the language. Um, yeah. So now, but back to the question: um, Does it apply to us? Uh, I think in the in the flow of the psalm, um, I think there's three sections which we sort of broke it into on Sunday. There's the away from the temple and longing to be there, mm. first section. Then there's the middle section, journeying towards the temple to be in the presence of God, and then the third section, kind of arriving and and enjoying the presence of God. Uh, and it's in that context, on arrival, that God, all of God's goodness, is kind of overflowing to the psalmist. That he, you know. Um, and so I think if you map that onto the way that we understand that in light of the New Testament, I think it is really um, looking, kind of pushing our eyes forward that we would uh, look forward to heaven being the place where ultimately this will be fulfilled, mm. um, where no good thing will be withheld from us, that, that place of no crying, no pain, no tears, all of God's goodness available to us in the perfect new creation. Mm. Um is there a sense of us enjoying some of that now? I think, yes. Um, there's a sense in which God still gives good things to his children. Yeah. Um, and I think there's another question that we'll sort of um, dig into this a little bit later on as well, I think. Uh, so we can probably say a bit more when, yeah, right. when we get further on. But um, I hope that helps. Yeah, let's leave it there for now. Yeah. A couple of questions now, thinking a little bit about how does this um, fit into uh, the, the Bible more broadly. Yeah. Uh, Questions come in. Uh, Sam, any thoughts on how Psalm 84 fits into Book 3 of the Psalter? Yeah. I might just unpack that a little bit. So the Book of Psalms, that's what the Psalter means. Mm -hmm. We have 150 Psalms, but it's broken up into these five books. So Mm -hmm. as you read through the Psalms occasionally, you'll see a a heading come up. So, you know, obviously at the start of Chapter 1, this is Book 1 of the Psalms. Yep. Uh, Book 3 starts in Psalm 73, I think. Yeah, so Psalm 73, I've got... 
Gonna Big heading. Book three. It runs Psalms 73 through to 89. 89. Yeah, that's right. So you have these five books. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question is, uh, how does Psalm 84 fit into book three, which is the darkest of all five books, mm. because it ends in exile. Uh, Psalm 89 uh, mm. shows us that, yeah. Talk us a little about, a bit about that. How does that, you know, is that right? And, and the question is, how does that help us as we think about for us as Christians who are sort of in exile, our home isn't here, it's heaven. Yeah, this is a fantastic question. Thanks for sending it in. Um, I'm not sure I f- fully agree that that's a, that book three is the darkest of all the books, although it certainly does end in the darkest of all places. Mm. Uh, so Psalm 89, and it's worth worth a read, we won't go fully into it now, but um, it really it's a long psalm uh, in which it kind of, laments upon the the grievous sin of Israel uh, and recognizes their sort of um, that they are worthy of the judgment of God and then just kind of laments and and it, it kind of is the end that that uh, finishes with, with exile uh, exile and, and Israel being overrun by their enemies um, and so it does end in a, in a in a terrible place but it, it feels a little bit to me at least like uh, the book takes a very dark turn towards that at that end, but it, mm. um, I mean, here in eighty four, it doesn't have those overturn tones of uh, God's like Israel's enemies or Israel's sin. It's it's um, it's a bit more positive, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think this this idea that there's this uh, story that runs through the Psalms. I think there's something to it. So mm. um, Psalm one and two does have this, you know, really kind of strong positive, you know. Blessed is the righteous one who walks with the Lord. You know, the, the yep. Lord's going to smash the nations like, you know, iron-breaking pottery, like yep. I think yep. Dave showed us at the start of the year, Psalm 2. Yeah. And in Psalm 3, it's like, you know, David's hiding in a cave, like running away from Saul. It's like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Messiah's just like in the pits, basically. And yeah. there is that, you know, the, the first couple of books are pretty dark. Mm. Um, I think you're right, though. I mean, Psalm 89, the big, you know, it has this, this really big, like, kind of triumphant, you know, um, Psalm 89 verse uh, 35, once for all, I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David, mm. that his line will continue forever. His throne will endure before me like the sun. It'll be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. Yeah. Yep. It's like the Messiah is just going to rule forever. Yep. And then verse 38. The next verse. Yeah. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. Yeah. And so Psalm 89 ends with this like, you know, it's this this crisis. It's like, God, yeah. you promised that David's line was going to be there forever. And yep. it's not, you know, the exile comes and the Judah, you know, go to Babylon. Yep. Psalm 84 is this different picture though. Because like you said, you've got this picture that the, the, the anointed one is there. He's in place. He's, right. he's ruling, he's providing protection for the pilgrims. So yep. whatever the story of the Psalms is overall, I think it's quite hard to really tie it uh, really neatly down. Because sometimes in the flow of the book, there's going to be individual Psalms that don't seem to neatly fit into this really big yeah. sweeping story. Yeah, so so maybe it's worth just to wrap this question out to say, look, I think that's right. there is a there is a macro flow to the mm. psalms, but it is pretty hard, like you said, just to tie the micro how each particular psalm fits perfectly into that flow. But I think that's right. There is a movement here in book three towards this this kind of uh, moment of sort of tragedy, almost yeah. of of the rejection of Israel as as um, God's covenant people, and uh, and that is that that is right. But then eighty four sort of seems to I don't know. I guess it's like weaving a rug. Not every um, mm. thread of the rug is exactly the same color, but when you stand back and see the mm. um, the way the various threads interplay, you, you can see the movement of the color or something yeah. like that. I think it's a helpful picture. Yeah. We'll keep going. Yeah. So uh, you talked a little bit about the the temple idea. You took us to John 2 and how Jesus is the kind of fulfillment of the temple. Yeah. Questions come in. Does the fact that the Christian's body is also a temple of the Holy Spirit? 
yeah. which is what 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says. How does that uh, fact speak into yeah. this? Um... Yeah, thanks for asking me this question um, because uh, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, yes, last Wednesday afternoon as I was sort of sort of deciding which way to sort of go with my sermon on this, I, I knocked on Jack's door and I sort of had a bit of a chat to him. I said, look, I've got two options uh, here. I could go uh, the Philippians 3 route, you know, where we could talk about what we talked about on Sunday. Or I've got mm. this other, we could do a bit more thinking about the temple and the temple imagery in the New Testament. Which which way should I go, you know, this way or that? And we sort of wrestled it through and Jack's like, yeah, no, go the Philippians 3 way. And so, so I did um, <laughs> follow, follow good wisdom when you get it. Uh, but here, you've asked me the other. So now let me give you my second sermon. Yeah, let's hear the, the road less traveled, you know. <laughs> uh, I won't give you the full sermon. But there is, it is really interesting chasing the temple imagery imagery right throughout the new testament mm. um so i took us i mean jesus is is the key element john 2 he is the temple the place where god's presence is now mediated uh, more so in place of the building that was only ever a shadow and then yet from there 1 corinthians 6 uh takes you to the idea that because god's spirit lives in us we then become a temple um which is an incredible thought that those who have put their trust in jesus uh get to enjoy the presence of god in the same with the same imagery that was used of the temple in jerusalem so there there is a profound thought that mm. as a as a christian with god's holy spirit living in you uh god is present to you right now just as he was to the Israelite uh, approaching, you know, to offer their sacrifice upon the altar and then mm. enjoy fellowship with God. Uh, that is an incredible thought that God lives with you. And and what Paul then says is in light of that, therefore, honor God with your body. Yeah. Uh, you, you live in the presence of God. Don't dare defile it by uh, giving it over to sexual immorality. Um, yeah, that's the immediate context around 1 Corinthians 6. And so, uh, yeah, so that, that's an incredible thought. Mm. Um, then the other place that the um, the temple imagery gets used is actually in God's church, uh, that we are a, a holy people belonging to God. We are his temple, the, the place in which he dwells by his spirit. Not Not the church building, but the church people. Um, they are, again, the, the image of the temple gets applied to them. Uh, and so there's a sense in which as as a you know someone comes into the presence of god's people they get to experience something of the presence of god yeah. um uh so you can sort of think it on a church level as well and then you push all the way through to um the end of the bible revelation 22 i think it is um where or it might be no it's 21 it's 21 verse 22 i think um he, he's john's recounting all the things he saw in his vision of the the new creation and uh, he sees the walls and the streets and the, all these things. And then verse 22, he says, But I did not see a temple in the city, mm. because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Uh, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And there's this sense in which what is missing from the the f- final destination for God's people is a temple, because um, there's no need for it. There's this yeah. unmediated access that uh, humanity will enjoy in God's presence as He Himself is there with them face to face, and uh, it's a yeah, so you can sort of map the temple imagery. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, great, great question. Uh, does it speak into this psalm? Absolutely. Yes, you enjoy God's presence with you. And as such, be very hesitant uh, to give yourself over to sin. Yeah, it's such a profound story. And I think it's beautiful, like, because I think in this image, in this theme, you have 
essentially the story of the gospel and mm. particularly of how God is going to transform his people woven there. The fact that Israel had the temple in the midst of them mm. was both this amazing blessing, but also this reminder of sin because mm. God is there in your midst. He's, he's in the temple. He's with you. That's right. But he's behind this curtain mm. and you don't go into him. You know, the high priest gets to go there, but once a year to offer the sacrifice. Yeah. So you have this kind of this paradox, which runs through the whole Bible. Really, God is with his people and yep. yet he's separated from them by sin. Mm. But through it, the the lamb is done for us. You know, by the end of the story, there's no temple because that's God right. is just there, and God we're is, with Him. That's right. It's without incredible. without sin, without the division between us, you know, temple curtains been torn. Like one day we'll see Him face to face. Yeah. And how glorious is that? So for? good. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, look forward to uh, the next time you get to preach Psalm 84. Yeah, I'll go the other way the, next the full time. <laughs> that's of right. Second start seven. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, have a, a couple of questions. Thinking sort of uh, thinking about application, thinking about what this psalm means for our life, our world. Yeah. Questions come in in a lo- in a world and our lives that are filled with things like disease and social breakdown and violence. Is the Bible saying that these things are due to God withholding His blessings? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the answer is is yes. Um, at, at one level, um. Yes, I mean any any good thing we have is from the hand of God, and mm. I think um, uh, so. So yes, uh, I think uh, God. W- when we see those things, it is because God has chosen not to bless. But I think you can possibly go a little bit further than that. Um, I think I'd say that um, God. Well, two things. One, it's not as bad as it could be. <laughs> mm. uh, in, in that God, I think restrains himself sometimes in fact um you know the, the idea of common grace it's it's there when jesus speaks of uh god causing his rain to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous so i mean we, we've had a fair bit of rain in the last few days indeed yeah. uh, but it has fallen not just on the christian houses to water their lawns it's fallen on everyone's indiscriminate yeah. yep um and so there is a sense in which um yeah god god could withhold his blessing much more than he does. And mm. that we have uh, as much blessing as we enjoy, uh, I think is um, uh, evidence that God is is far more gracious uh, than, than we realize. Yeah. I think I'll put the other side, though, is that Romans 1 uh, talks about the idea that um, actually God has already started pouring his wrath out upon humanity. Uh, mm. He will pour his wrath out on a final day of judgment. Uh, but even now, God... Uh, pours his wrath out and uh, that begins as he gives us over to our sinful desires in which we do wrong and ruin the world uh, and much of the the pain and difficulty that we experience in the world the violence the social breakdown the kind of things mentioned in this question Mm. are as a result of god giving us over to our sinful desires that we do what we want and therefore we hurt each other yeah i think that we sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that uh, order and peace and good health are the norm and mm. any departure from that is yep. kind of the the aberration and so that's you know everything should be good because god is good and so god withholds that good sometimes that's kind of the weird thing mm. that would be true if we were still in the garden yeah if there were no sin yeah but after the fall we live in a world where god has not just withheld his blessings he's actively brought yeah uh, calamity and disaster upon us because as the sin. punishment for sin that's uh, right you know, it's the language of romans 8 but that's right the present sufferings we face are you know, as the, the, the creation groans mm. because it's been subjected to futility. Yeah. And who has subjected it but God yeah. as the curse and the penalty for sin. 
Yep. And so we we wait for the the redemption of all things when God will finally you know bring all of that mess mm. out of it and destroy it once and for all, and then it will be good and you know always blessing all the time the way God has intended. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's not just that God withholds His blessings now; right. He is pouring out His wrath on That's this right. world that needs Christ. Yeah. So go and read Romans one, um, sort of seventeen onwards, and, mm. and you'll get that sense. Yeah. yeah. We keep going. We got another question on this idea of blessing. Someone's asked, "How do we understand in the heart?" that Christ is such an amazing blessing. Mm. I grasp it in my head, but my heart isn't there. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, um, it's a hard question. Um, I think we do need to keep uh, feeding our minds. Um, mm. Romans 12 talks about um, that as the mind is transformed, so then the rest of the self is transformed. And then, so there is a sense in which um, we need to keep wrestling with these things, uh, keep, keep thinking about them, keep... Um, uh, yeah, let, letting them sort of go deep into us, uh, that the rest of our lives may be changed by them. Yeah. Um, I do think though there is a sense in which we are more than our brains, and our mm. and our whole self. I think is human beings are not just little brains walking around on sticks. We're we're, we're whole bodies, and whole, we have hearts and feelings, and you know a lot of which is connected to the mind. I get get it, but yeah. there's a there's a holisticness to it that I think sometimes we, we don't appreciate. Um, and so, for example, um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of research. Uh, it's interesting um, listening to uh, a lady by the name of Patricia Wirakuna. She talks, mm. She's talking about, particularly about sex and sexual gratification. She's a sexologist and a Christian. Mm. But she makes some very interesting um, points about the way the body works, that we, if we keep sort of satisfying our, our, our brain and our body's need for, for things like dopamine and all that kind of stuff via particular pathways of you know things like pornography or whatever um Mm. uh, we can sort of train our bodies to love those things and that no matter how much you then tell your head intellectually that that's not a good thing you've kind of created a habit um and and habits are very powerful things that they train we we train our loves little bit by little bit every day Uh, so the things you gaze at the things you think about the things you sort of yearn for um and that might be the stuff that you're just filling in as you scroll through instagram and as you look you know at the internet and as you Mm. read magazines and you watch television and you you fill your mind with things that you're training your body to love certain things and then you come to church and it says love god and you think oh that sounds hard and then you spend the next six days reinforcing with habit what you love um and so i think there, there needs to be a sense in which our christian life takes hold of how who and what we are and we actually train ourselves to love the things that god loves sometimes that might mean by switching off other inputs and or being aware to the the way that those things um affect and play into our lives and and actually become a little bit self-critical about the the things that we we train ourselves to love if we're always thinking about money or owning stuff or the next whatever it's going to be very hard to say well um you know then on a sunday to hear just once in the week that god is the thing you should be thinking about the psalmist in psalm 84 what's he thinking about what's he yearning for where's his heart and his flesh crying out for it's the living god and i take it that means that he has in some sense trained not just his mind but his whole self to love the things of god Mm. Our hearts are just so easily numbed to that by everything mm. else, like you've said. And so breaking out of that is part of it. Yeah. I mean, another side of it is like, this is ultimately a spiritual battle. Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, the way that that battle is fought is on the battlegrounds that you've described, yep. but uh, yep. we don't fight it without uh, the work of God and the work of his spirit. And so we mm. need to pray and ask him to That's transform right. our hearts, that our loves would be 
mm. uh, you know, they would release their grasp on the, mm. the other things of this world and they would, yeah, lay hold of Jesus because, yep. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not something we're going to do on our own. So the, the discipline of prayer and yep. uh, continuing to yep. bring uh, those uh, wrestles to God. Yep. We've got to keep doing that as well. Yep. But I think you're right. We need to, uh, sometimes we need to switch off and we yep. need to engage with God. And that sounds like we say that all the time, but like, do we actually do it? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Another question in a similar kind of vein, uh, as we aim to respond to Christ with gladness, how do we do that without ending up measuring our faith in terms of emotion? Yeah. Um, tricky question. Um, we do want to respond to Christ with gladness. Um, I don't think gladness is certainly, I think the question's right. It's more than emotion, but I'm not sure it's less than. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes on our sort of, in our world of Christianity, we, we can be a little bit skeptical of the emotions, a little bit kind of, um, we, we don't trust them. And mm. so, and that's, that's, there's something to that. Um, but they're also part of our human self. And so, uh, that they should be stirred and uh, changed by the gospel. I mean, yeah. you you look at Jesus that um, when he he would be always filled with compassion and or, or grief when he would see um, you know the effects of sin in the world. You, you see him at the, uh, the 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 tomb of Lazarus and he's sort of uh, kind of snorting with with rage and 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 mm. uh, at, at the reality of death in in, in God's world and his emotions um, help him uh, and actually give voice to a reality um, that that is shaped by the gospel and by God's um, kind of view on the world. Yeah, it's really helpful. I mean, just as an aside, like yeah. that principle, as we think about our anthropology, you know, understanding what it means to be human, I think sometimes we look at Jesus and we're kind of, we're daunted by him. You know, mm. he feels alien. Mm. And you can understand why, right? Like he is divine. He is yep. fully God. Yep. But God is, I mean, Jesus is not, sort of like less than human because of that like yeah. he is the ultimate human That's like right. he is the one human who has ever truly lived out what it means to be human in full yeah so whenever we think what does it mean to be a person what yeah. does it mean to be a human being we look to jesus as the yeah. human par excellence yeah and that's right he was certainly a man of emotion that's right so we know that emotions are not you know wrong or simple mm. themselves or anything like that like yeah. he shows us the fullness of emotion yeah. if anything our, our emotions aren't emotive enough because you know we're you know we're like we said before we're numbed by the world like Mm. i'm you know relatively indifferent to people in their plight and their sickness and their poverty compared to jesus who is you know deeply moved from his his guts with compassion for for sinners yeah that's right so so um just i push back a little bit on the question to say that we we, there is a, a right place for emotion in in our faith um but at the same time, um, I like the idea of the word responding to Christ, that, that mm. your emotion, I think, uh, when it is rightly um, moved and, and uh, brought sort of uh, yeah, stirred up by the gospel should result in a response. And I think that is in terms of um, faith and obedience, mm. that, that, that your emotion should stir you to trust Christ yeah. and it should uh, stir you to be obedient. And so... If it is, and so we don't want showy emotion that just, you know, once the music turns off, we kind of go home and keep doing the same thing that we did before. Mm. It should be true affection for God that results in going into the week ahead with uh, a desire to trust God that when he, to, to, and then to obey his word and uh, to serve him, to serve others, uh, to do that. And it is that, I mean, Jesus gets asked, what, what are the greatest two commandments? And they're, they're both, that is love God 
and love others. Now, again, that is more than emotion, but mm. it's not less than. And, and it, yeah. is, it is that you love God, that you would honor him and obey him, that you would love others, that you would honor them and serve them. Um, yeah, so I think that, that that godly emotion will will stir godly service and worship. Yeah. I mean, one last thing to say on this is if you're, if you're trying to respond to Christ with gladness, but you're trying not to kind of make it all about gladness, one of the things that could be going on there is you're thinking too much about emotion as if it's the focus like yes don't yeah if, if, you're, if you're trying to kind of summon the gladness um mm. in a sense it's a little bit backwards like don't don't focus on the emotion focus on christ mm. and our emotion is the response to yeah. him yeah so the more you treasure jesus and you know think of his like we said his his amazing compassion for sinners that he would look on yeah. people like us who are utter wretches who are yeah. you know worthy of his condemnation but jesus comes to us you know gentle and humble and and full of this this yep. Yeah, mercy and compassion towards us. Like the more that we reflect on the love of Jesus and how we don't deserve it, and yet He lavishes that upon us, mm. that's the thing that I think will draw gladness out of us. Yeah. Good. That's helpful. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. We have got one last question today. Right. Uh, how do we find strength and perseverance in God during the hard times beyond a vague feeling of comfort or joy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, good. Good place to finish. Um, uh, this psalm, I think, is all about uh, finding strength and persevering on the journey, mm. and, uh, and and it locates that in God. Uh, so I think um, I'd say two things. Uh, one, take note of the psalmist that he turns to God in the hard times and he prays. Mm. Um, he prays in, in verse 8 and 9. He prays for the Messiah. Uh, but even the start at, at the whole time at one level is addressed to God. How lovely are your dwelling place, you know, Lord God Almighty. Um, how good it is to dwell in, in your presence. Um, and then, and he, um, so talk to God, include God in that. Um, mm. And so, so um, and, and that doesn't have to be vague. It, ha- it can be quite specific as, as it is in, in Psalm 84. Um, but, but how do we find the strength and perseverance? Um, I, I think... It's not, it's not a vague comfort that God offers you. It's a very clear and specific uh, comfort that, uh, as you travel towards glory. Uh, the comfort is that, um, you know, um, 1 John uh, 1 and 2, if, if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, the righteous one. You know, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That, that's mm-hmm. not a vague comfort. That's a very specific comfort that he... he offers you in the face of your sin on this journey. Mm. Um, and, and you can go through it on almost every front of the Christian life and you can see uh, that God's comfort is not vague. It's it's quite specific and we've got to take hold of it, not just in a general sense. I know God loves me and God is with me. No, God is advocating for me in lo- even despite my sin, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, so, so I think, not knowing who asked the question, but but I think if, if you're sense of God's love for you is vague, then part of the answer might be, well, dig deeper, push mm. into the, the spe- specifics of, of what God has done for you, that it is not vague, but it is um, quite quite real. Um, it's really helpful, yeah. I mean, as I've been saying, like these things, you know, emotions, strength, all that perseverance, it's not, you know, just an intellectual thing, but there is mm. this, you know, there is this intellectual content that the scriptures give us. Yeah. And I, I think this is helpful. So you're telling us don't, yeah, if your idea of God is just this this vague, God is for you, it's good, mm. then of course your comfort is going to be necessarily vague, based mm. on that. But the scriptures give us such a, a 
and, you know, this multifaceted diamond showing us all these angles on God's love for us and yep. different aspects of Jesus' work. And the more yep. we fill our minds with those specifics, I think yep. you're right, the more specific yep. our comfort. I mean, another one that comes to mind is the picture of Jesus as our high priest that the book of Hebrews gives yeah. us. And you have Jesus who's there interceding on our behalf to the yep. Father. He ever lives to intercede for us, is yep. Hebrews 7.25. So yep. that picture of Jesus, you know, standing there at God's right hand, continuing to, yep. to plead to the Father, to plead our case before him. Like, that's, that's right. something that, that, like, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think I find a very specific comfort and joy knowing that Jesus right now yep. is speaking to God, advocating for me. Yep. How good is that? Yep. And, and just quickly to, to wrap it up, I think the other thing I would say is... Um, Give God a go. Um, mm. Sometimes I think we're, we're waiting for the sense of comfort before we take a risk and do something scary by serving or helping someone or getting getting kind of dirty, getting our hands dirty in the Christian life. Mm. Um, that we don't actually, so we don't take a risk. We never give God a chance to kind of show just how faithful he is to us in whatever situation it might be. Um, we're always waiting to feel a little bit more, like we've got a bit more energy or a little bit more. I, I, I like to surf, but I think I've got to wait till X, Y, Z is sorted mm. out before I give that a go. Just take a risk, give it a go and watch the faithfulness of God um, as you dive in and have yeah. a go at the Christian life. Um, right, does that make sense? So yeah. I think, have yeah, a go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have a go, you might. Uh, yeah. um, get yeah. in and give, give the Christian life a go and then mm. look back and see God's faithfulness in hindsight. And I think often that's where you see it. You look back and say, wow, God sustained me through that and how glad am I that I... Um, I mean, just a, I was reflecting with someone after Summerfest uh, two, two years ago who was mm. a bit scared about serving on the team and, you know, fearful, whatever, gave it a go. And then on the end of it could say, that was just so good. I'm so glad I did that. God sustained me, overcame my fears, and look, aren't I glad I did that? Like, that's yeah. a very little example, mm. but it's that concept. Kind of give it a go. Yeah. God is faithful, and yeah. we can step out in faith and give it a go. I that's think that's it. helpful. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's our questions today, and we're really thankful for them. Thank you to all of you who've texted in. We yeah. love grappling with the Bible. Yeah, you push us deeper, and we hope it's helpful for you too as we, we seek to keep digging into the things of God. Yep. Sam, can you tell us a little bit about where we're going this Sunday? Yeah, I'm going to be quick because I can hear people arriving for our next meeting. So here we go. Raj Gupta is preaching Ephesians chapter 1 this Sunday. Get excited yeah. for that. So he, God willing, will be here on the extras next week. So get ready for that. Send your questions in. Uh, but pre-read Ephesians 1, 1 to 14 this week. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then. Okay, bye-bye.